Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This podcast brought to you by SaneBox.com. Take control of your email and get back to Inbox Zero. You can do it. You can try it free for two weeks and get a $25 bonus when you sign up. All the details coming up in the podcast from SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standard. Mark Hemingway has been keeping his eye on the media for us as always. And Mark, I'm glad to know that the official historian of the conservative movement in America has measured us and found us wanting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Rick Perlstein, uh, he's written a number of books about the history of the American right. And the first of those books was called Before the Storm. And it was about Barry Goldwater and the rise of the American right in the 1960s. And it was very well received, even by conservatives. Um, I you know, recall a number of conservative organizations promoted it and things like that at the time. But ever since then, uh, the last decade or so, you know, he started out you know, establishing his credibility with the right. He, um, he's been all over on the side, and no one's really been paying attention. He's been writing all this liberal punditry that is just, you know, excoriating um, uh, of the right. And uh, people haven't really been paying attention. And then he published this big essay attacking the American right in, in New York Times Magazine. We're looking at. And, and of course, uh, you know, it's full of falsehoods. It's full of all sorts of tendentious things. Well, and- before we get to falsehoods and tendentiousness, which, by the way, uh, were going to be the names of my first two kids, but my <laughs> wife declined. Um What's the premise? What's what is his nut graph, as they say in the writing biz? Well, uh, the premise is that the reason why no one anticipated the rise of Donald Trump was that historians were too kind to the conservative movement. They were busy trying to understand conservatives on their own terms instead of pointing out that they are a bunch of racist cranks. And I and I I don't think I'm overgeneralizing when I say that. I mean he literally ends the piece by saying that uh, um, future historians are going to have to focus on. Quote, conservative history's political surrealists and intellectual embarrassments, its con artists and tribunes of white rage, and that we're further going to have to, quote, risk being impolite, as opposed to the normal academic consensus uh, <laughs> conservatives. of conservatives uh, or even so normal nice. media consensus. Right. Yeah, that's... You know, I think this would be something that progressives should try. This would be a new thing. I just came up with it. Try calling conservatives racists. Try yeah, that. Yeah, this no, has never been done. But maybe Pearlstein's on something here. Well, but it, but again, this is a classic example of what I'm talking about. And, and the, surely the right, you know, as it is in some mm-hmm. grand sense, bears some institutional responsibility for propagating certain mm-hmm. forms of racism. But so does the left. Mm-hmm. Um, Pearlstein spends paragraphs in this piece talking about the Ku Klux Klan as if it's just a given that this is a product of the right. That's insane. The Ku Klux Klan had a lot more in common with the progressive movement and was certainly affiliated with the Democratic Party in tangible ways. When Barack Obama was elected president, there was a former exalted cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan sitting in the U.S. Senate. And guess what? He was not a Republican. So he mentioned that he wrote this big piece talking about conservatism in the era of Trump. What what does he say Trump says about the right or the way the right has responded to Trump? Well, this is another bit of intellectual prestidigitation about the piece. That, that's a fancy word for sleight of hand. Uh, uh, um, that he engages- This is the Daily Standard podcast. We know what prestidigitation means. We just can't pronounce it. <laughs> well, neither can I, apparently. Um, <laughs> So this is what he does, is he just makes several sort of casual leaps. Like, one is that Trump is a product of conservatism. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Trump obviously has some clear connections to conservative. He's nominally a member of the Republican Party. You know, Mike Pence, I think people would call him a conservative. Um, however, uh, he's also very much a populist and in the populist vein. And populism is its own thing. Uh, it is, you know, has a very distinct intellectual and political tradition that is very much apart from conservatism, um, which brings us to one of the more egregious parts of the piece. He goes off about it and it says that Jonah Goldberg ended up, after opposing Trump mm-hmm. during the primary, had quote unquote embraced him uh, now, which if you've been following Jonah Goldberg at Nash Review or on Fox News, you know that he remains one of the most dogged critics of, the, of Trump from the right. He's sure. been that way. He's been consistent. He's been very prolific on this subject, much to a lot of people's consternation. So how does a claim that someone like Jonah Goldberg, or to use another example close to the home, Bill Kristol, people on the right who've been clearly not Trump-friendly, how does a claim that, oh, they've, you know, they're in the arms now, they've run to the how does that make it into the New York Times. I mean, they do have like fact checkers and stuff, right? Well, in this case, actually, uh, Jonah wrote his own response in the long story short. Fact checkers seemed to fall down on the job. I mean, they actually called him to fact check the piece or whatever and didn't ask him like the one salient <laughs> fact that was actually written into the piece. Um, and so he got it wrong. But again, it doesn't matter. I mean, Pearlstein is not interested in, in getting things right. It seems like his, his predominant theme here was to paint this portrait he has in his mind, you know, however intentionally or unintentionally essentially that the writer, a bunch of racist mm-hmm. cranks, and they're responsible for everything that's bad, and everything I don't like about Donald Trump is all their fault, and uh, you know, they, you know, we need mm-hmm. to you know, um, be harder on these people, which is just insane. When the campaign was going on during the primaries, I suggested that one of the challenges of having Trump be the nominee, never dawned on me, he could actually be president, right. <laughs> would be that the sins of Trump would be visited upon the party, that the party would be linked in the minds, particularly of younger voters, people who don't follow politics that close, they'll say, oh, you nominated Trump. Well, that must be what a Republican is. A Republican must be Trump. Do you think that there's a, an effort in the progressive media, the mainstream media, to try to fuse the two together, to, to muddy the waters, despite the fact that plenty of conservatives and certain well-known publications with which I am employed right now have had some distance with Donald Trump? I think it's just nearest weapon to the hand, which is to say that anything they think they can do to attack Trump and advance the political goals of, of the liberal opposition, mm-hmm. they're going to do. Um, and in this case, it means, you know, a historian who should know better should know that there's always been a tremendous amount of tension between, you know, conservative intellectuals and the Republican Party. I mean, that has always been like a constant theme running through the modern conservative movement since, you know, Bill Buckley strode onto the national stage stage to today. Um, so to suggest that there's no daylight between quote-unquote conservatives and Donald Trump, as this piece seems to do, uh, is is absolutely crazy. And uh, it does a great disservice to a lot of important historical debates. Okay, we're going to go to another topic to wrap up here. But I have to stop for a second and talk about SaneBox.com. I'm one of those people who has lived and died by email since, well, since email started to exist. I bet you could find some C colon backslash email in there somewhere. I bet they were still in my inbox until I found SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X. SaneBox.com puts you back in charge of your email. And what I love about it is that it's not a new email. It's not a new service like you have to find or whatever. It works on top of your current email. So whatever you're using, that's great. SaneBox just makes it work for you. It gets you back to inbox zero. Do you even remember the days when your inbox was zero? Like when you got an email, it was the email in your inbox and not just the latest on the huge stack 
a number that matches the national debt, you can do that with SaneBox.com. Plus, you have this cool thing called the black hole. You get an email from someone that you know you never want to get another email from. You drag it to the black hole. You'll never hear from them again. Yes, it works on family members. Not saying, just saying. My point is, you can check out SaneBox.com right now, two weeks for free, and you can get a $25 bonus if you decide to buy. It's all at SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standard. I'm so glad that they're supporting this podcast. When you support them, you're supporting us. So just give it a try. SaneBox.com slash Weekly Standard. Okay, Mark Hemingway, can we agree that Sean Spicer is not going to go down in history as America's greatest White House spokesperson? Well, no, but let's be honest here. This is a difficult job. I'm not I, I'm not defending Spicer and what he did right. yesterday. Clearly put his foot in his mouth about those Holocaust comments. But, I mean, let's look at the history of people who have been, you know, in that job recently. I mean, we didn't really say Josh Ernest or Jay Carney right. or Gibbs did a fantastic <laughs> job. I mean, it really is a thankless job, and I, I, I don't know why anyone would want to do and it. And doing it for Donald Trump is even thanklessly thankless it's yes um, the media hate you even more than usual yes. and you have to defend a lot of crazy things that are said by it's your not, boss not an easy job but reaching for the hitler card always you know when it comes to hitler analogies just say no that's a simple thing but right what struck me the number of people who are clearly intelligent people particularly on the left in the media who saw his stumbling attempt to make the argument that General Mattis had actually made earlier right. eloquently, which is even Hitler didn't go into the battlefield and use chemical weapons as a, a weapon of war in the battlefield. Assad, is, in that sense, has done something even Hitler wouldn't do. And then you got this you know, Sean Spicer version of it. All of these people who know for a fact what he was trying to say, pretending that they thought he was a Holocaust denier. Right. You know, I saw a few people that were courageous on the left. Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo, um, you know, clearly made that point and said he thought Spicer was getting a bad rap. But you're right, by and large, I can remember the Anne Frank Center came out and condemned it and said that Spicer needed to resign. And everybody's like, oh, well, the Anne Frank Center said this. I don't even know who the Anne Frank Center is. You know, I mean, I don't know anything about it. You know, right. um, there's any manner of things that could, you know, claim to be representative. There's no one person that speaks for the Holocaust. Sure. Um, and and I, I think we need to be obviously very sensitive mm -hmm. to the issue. And I think that Spicer, you know, has gone out of his way to apologize. I think it's absolutely insane to imply that he's an anti-Semite because it was inarticulate, though. Right. And the idea that he was trying to somehow defend what Hitler did, he didn't understand what Hitler did, that was all nonsense. The guy screwed up. Yeah. There's no secret Hydra cabal, you know, the right. Hydra lapel pin. He's just a guy who said something really stupidly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, on the other hand, it's not helped by the fact that there is this sort of alt-right element out there that has been historically pro-Trump, mm -hmm. and there's definitely anti-Semitism in their ranks. Absolutely. On the other hand... You know, as much as people may have support, maybe publicly supporting Trump and may have even voted for him, Donald Trump's own daughter married an Orthodox Jew and is converted. And I don't think that Donald Trump uh, hates his grandchildren and are part of some inferior race. So I think, you know, um, going that far uh, is, uh, um, is too much. But at the same time, it's another example of how the Trump administration is, uh, uh, hasn't made things easy for themselves. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, they haven't. As that great political philosopher, Steve Martin, put it. Some people have a way with words and others uh, uh, no have way. Mark Hemingway, you definitely have a way with words. We'll have to have you on the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you.
You've been listening to the Daily Standard Podcast every weekday from the Weekly Standard. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com or Google Play. Give us a five-star rating. Let people know you found out about it. Leave a review. We want to hear from you. And don't forget, every Friday, it's the Crystal Clear edition of the podcast with Bill Crystal. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.